Morning, everyone. And you're very welcome to our service this morning. And those that are watching online are very uh, welcome also to join with us this morning in our worship and praise of the Lord. Now, we've got a few announcements just to go through this morning. Ballycrock and Bible Club, just a wee reminder that's taking place from the 31st of July to the 4th of August. This is for children that are going into P1 up to those who have just left P7. And flyers are available in the vestibule at the back. Please take some and pass on to family, friends, and neighbours. Alpha will start, God willing, on Wednesday the 27th of September, 2023. If you'd like to be a team leader, uh, please, if you contact myself, um, there'll be an Alpha training evening coming up at the church on Thursday, the 27th of July at half past seven. But if you'd like to be a part of Alpha, um, but maybe you're unable to commit to every week, there are other wee jobs that need done, which perhaps you could help us with. And details are found in today's order of service. You have we looked through them. If you let me know if you can help out with any of these things, it really does. It's a good support to know that folk are there and things are being covered. Communicant classes will start on Thursday the 14th of September at half past seven. If you'd like to become a new communicant member of the church, or if you'd like to just have a refresher course of what it means to come around the Lord's table, please sign your name with your telephone number on the sheet. It's also in the vestibule at the back. Uh, church banking arrangements, please note the details in today's order of service. If you need any further information, please speak to Isabel Walker, um, our treasurer. Um, also, uh, we have the deep sea fishing as of, um, let me see, on the 19th, Wednesday the 19th of July at half past six. Now, we still have a few spaces left. If you would like to go or if you would like to bring your son or if you would like to bring your friend, uh, please uh, fill in the form at the back. There's just a, a signature and a phone number, and we'll be in touch about that. But it should be a good night, good bit night of crack, but a bit of fun, and hopefully we'll bring everybody home a few fish. <laughs> also, just for your, under for your knowledge, uh, there's little flyers here. If you feel there's somebody, maybe your neighbor or friend or someone that's asking or thinking about maybe coming along to Ballycrock at Presbyterian Church, and you don't want to, first of all, give them a big pack, which is there, um, there's these wee flyers, and you can give them out a wee flyer that covers every, well, a lot in, 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 in a small, smaller print uh, for people just to read through and to get a feel of what Ballycrock and Presbyterian Church is like and how welcome they would be in that. So there's a mission visit to Rwanda, hopefully maybe in 2024, and any in the congregation who would be interested in being part of a group making a mission visit to Rwanda uh, are invited to contact Tom Shaw or Brian Gartland or George Crawford by the 23rd of July. And I'm going to call on Tom now, who's going to show us a few slides of Rwanda, just to give us a wee bit of an appetite Good morning, everybody. I'm going to rely on Chris to show the slides. Um, but it's just five years ago, uh, July 2018, whenever a team of 
16 people, all of them, I think but one, members of the congregation or linked to the congregation, made a, vision, a mission visit to Rwanda. And uh, the pictures I'm going to show you are just to let you see what kind of things they did when they were there. So that's the whole group assembled the first morning that we were in Ramagana. They were all dressed up, getting ready to go to church. This picture shows the group who were out on the farming project, hoeing in the fields to get ready to plant the crops for that season. The next picture shows you another escapade we had, which was buying goats with money given by members of the congregation to donate to families. It was a project to give a family a goat from which then, in due course, they could begin to get some income. The next one shows you um, another very worthwhile job, which was painting the classrooms in the school. And you can see uh, George there, and I think Adrian and Linda, um, along with one of the young people who was helping us. And they had just painted that classroom. The next one is, we had a group who went out to work with the women and teach them basic needlework and craft skills. And this is the whole assembled throng of the women who gathered and uh, for which it was a very, very successful and enjoyable event. After that, we have, uh, we also ran a summer Bible club every afternoon for the two weeks and a bit that we were there. And uh, those are some of our young members of our, our team standing, and those are all the children in the foreground. It was very like the kind of Bible uh, club that were run here at the beginning, the end of July, beginning of August. And the next picture shows you Isabel pointing the walls of a house that we had, as a congregation, paid for, and uh, which we then helped to finish off and carry cement to lay the floors and help put some of the finishing touches to it. But Isabel took very seriously the pointing of the brickwork, and as you can see, she really did a good job. And the next one? Um, that's basically most of the members of the team exhausted at the end of an afternoon, waiting for the bus back to the place that we were staying in, but tired but happy is the best way I can put it. And then, on our last day, we all got our fleeces on with Ballycrocken Presbyterian Church on, and we assembled that morning outside the, um, it, it was a retreat house we stayed in, uh, actually run by the Catholic Church in Ramagana, and um, it was a very good accommodation. You mustn't think we were living in very primitive accommodation, nothing like that, and whoever would go this time would probably stay in the same place or the same kind of accommodation. The point of showing you all of this is to remind you what happened five years ago, a life-changing and lifetime event for everybody who was there. People came back invigorated, renewed, enthused in their faith, and excited by what they had experienced. Now, we wanted to ask the congregation if there's anyone, if there's anyone in the congregation or anyone that you know of who isn't here today, who would be interested in finding out more about going next year. Because the proposal is to have a mission team go sometime in 2024. Uh, from the last team, there are two people who are very keen to go back. So they would be experienced and knowledgeable about what you do and how the whole thing works. 
And if you want to find out more about it, I would be interested to know what's involved, what you might have to do, what it might cost. If you contact Brian Gartland, George Crawford or me, we'll be absolutely delighted to talk to you, maybe arrange a get-together over a cup of coffee and talk through what the possibilities are. But please think about it prayerfully, carefully. And Douglas Kakuza, who represents this whole organization developing this project in Ramagana, has really got enthusiastic about some people from Ballycrocken coming back. The people there didn't talk as about us as the Ballycrocken group. That was too complicated to say. So they have referred to us as the Bangor group. And the Bangor group is remembered and prayed for, and they're looking forward to another Bangor group coming back. Thank you. Thank you, Tom. Thank you. Um, as you can see, our theme today is about God providing. The Lord will provide. Uh, you'll see the banner up at the front. Um, I just want to start our service by reading 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 17. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you provide us with so much every day, things that we take for granted. And when we think of people in Rwanda or in Africa, Father, who have difficulty in getting some of their supplies and have so many more obstacles than we have to get those supplies. But Lord, we thank you that you are our provider. We thank you, Lord, that you say, seek ye first the kingdom of God and once you do that, you'll give us everything that, we're, that we need after that. We thank you, God, for the water, the fresh water that comes through our taps every morning. We thank you for the food that we can go to our local supermarkets and buy and fresh vegetables. We thank you for the crops and the harvest, Lord, that you bless us with every year. So many things, God. But most of all, we want to thank you for Jesus this morning. For you gave your only Son and provided him upon a cross that we might know you, that we might know sins forgiven, sins cleared from our hearts, that weight taken off our shoulders, that we might come this morning and worship you in spirit and in truth. We thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're going to stand, we're going to sing all things bright and beautiful.
just for our wee family address, I want to just read Genesis chapter 22, verses 1 to 8. If you have a Bible, please open uh, Genesis 22, verses 1 to 18. Sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Then God said, take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain that I will show you. Early in the next morning, Abraham got up and loaded his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. When he'd cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw a place in the distance. He said to his servants, stay here with the donkey. While I and the boy go over there, we'll worship and then we'll come back to you. And Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac. And he himself carried the fire and the knife. And as the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father Abraham, Father, yes, my son, Abraham replied. The fire and wood are here, Isaac said, but where is the wood, or sorry, where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. And when they reached the place that God had told him about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. And Abraham looked up and there in a thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over and he took the ram and he sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of a son. So Abraham called that place the Lord will provide. And to this day it is said, on the mountain of the Lord it will be provided. The angel of the Lord called to Abraham from heaven a second time and said, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you've done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies and through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. Now, we want to look at provision today. Now, God provides for us in so many different ways. I remember when I was at Bible College, Belfast Bible College, my third year was a field term um, for two months, January and February. And Pastor Val English, who was a lecturer there at the time, he was a, guy, a man who I looked up to so much and still do. He was uh, the pastor of Newton Breda Baptist. He was the pastor of Port Stewart Baptist. But before those two charges, he was pastor of a little church, or quite a big church, a Broadway Baptist in Douglas of the Isle of Man. And he came to me and he said, Mark, I want to send you, excuse me, I want to send you over to Douglas in the Isle of Man. And... Uh, and I was just delighted, following in his footsteps, I thought, so this is great. My problem was I didn't get a penny the third year. I didn't get a grant at all. So um, I didn't have any money. 
And time went by, and eventually Pastor Val English came to me and said, Mark, I think we're going to have to get you over there in a fishing boat. <laughs> and I said, well, that's all right. That's fine. We're going to fish the boat. But then as we prayed, someone left the money in a pigeonhole, and uh, I managed to get a little flight over. Now, when I got over there, it was the coldest uh, year on history in the Isle of Man. That was January and February. It was freezing cold. And I had decided to do on Valentine's Day, on February the 14th, some open air uh, services. So I had a few friends doing this with me, uh, but I, it was freezing, freezing cold. And there was a guy who went for tea with uh, an anaesthetist um, who worked in, in, in the hospital over there. And he brought out, after tea, he brought out this big coat. I've never seen the like of it. It was filled with fur. I felt like an Eskimo, totally insulated. So God provided there. And then by the end of, towards the end of my two months there, I didn't have a penny. I was standing with the young people outside a hamburger or chippy, and I didn't even have money for a chip. But then I opened this little envelope, and there'd been a woman who had met for five minutes before I left for the Isle of Man, and my dad had sent me over a fiver, <laughs> which in those days it was probably a bit more, worth more than I, but a, a fiver, and it kept me going until I got home. Now, I flew home into Belfast to the airport. I had 12 pence in my pocket. I got the 10 pence out. Do you remember the, the old machines, the old phones? You put 10p in. I phoned my dad to let him know I was here. So when I actually arrived home, I had, all I had in the world was two pence in my pocket. But the thing is, God doesn't always supply all that we want, but he does supply our needs. And he looked after me, and he has. I've got a lot of stories I could tell about that. God provides. So I just wanted to tell you that because to earth it a bit in today, because sometimes we think, oh, Abraham, he's a different cuttle of fish, you know. Uh, but Abraham, the Lord will provide. Now, Abraham, as you know, uh, was a very elderly gentleman. And when he was very elderly, God told him, I will make you into a great, great nation. And Abraham, I'm sure, was really excited as excited as I was to go to Douglas the Isle of Man, but he said, I want to make you into a great nation. I want you to leave your home. I want you to leave your family, because his whole family had been worshiping the moon up to this point. I want you to leave all that security, and I want you to go out to a land where you don't know where you're going, but I want you to trust me, and I'll make you into a great nation. And he, he was excited, but there was one problem. Uh, you've given me no children. I'm very old. My wife's very old. I'm going to have to hand everything down to my servant. As a servant, she'll be my heir. But then God takes him out of his tent one night, and he says, look up at the stars. Abraham, do you believe me? Do you believe me? Look at the stars. Can you count the stars? Look at the sky and count the stars. If indeed you can count them, then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. Abraham, do you trust me? Abraham, do you believe me? Do I believe that I can do this? And, and so, as you know, uh, in later life, he was about, he was 100, I think, when he ha had Isaac. 
and his wife Sarah, well, she wasn't a spring chicken either. And what we're learning from this is anything too hard for the Lord? Is there anything too hard for the Lord? And they just loved little Isaac. And they brought him up, and they watched him grow, and they helped him to walk, and they changed his clothes, and they did everything for him, looked after him, trained him, and they just adored him, as you would. Now, then one morning, and I'm not surprised that Abraham did this before Sarah got out of bed, but God said to Abraham, I want you to take your son. I want you to take your only son, whom you love, who I know you love, and you've waited for for so long, and I want you to sacrifice it. This is the hardest thing God could ever have asked Abraham to do. But Abraham, do you trust me? And we're told in Hebrews even that Abraham went by faith and even was willing to do that with the faith that God could raise his son from the dead. But it was a very, very hard request from God. Take your son and sacrifice him. Now, as they headed off the next morning, they came to the mountain where God led Abraham, and uh, Isaac's quite grown by now. Where, where's the lamb for the burnt offering? They've done plenty of sacrifices, I'm sure, with his dad. But where's the lamb for the burnt offering, dad? Where is it? And Abraham says, God will provide himself will provide the lamb. And when they get to the very top of the mountain, and I want you to try and put yourself in this position, I know I honestly, if I'm being honest, I could never do this. Well, here he hands out. He says, he's got the knife. He must have explained. I don't know how I explained to Isaac. He's tied him up. His, his, his son has trusted him, and he's got the knife in his hand, and I would suspect there's tears running down his face, sweat in his hair, and he was just about to sacrifice his son, and it was wrecking him inside. And then God says, do not lay a hand upon the boy. He says, what a test, because you see, sometimes the most precious things in our lives can be the things that are our idols, even though they're good things. And God wanted to make sure that not even his son was above God himself. So he says, don't lay a hand upon the boy. Who is more important in Abraham's life? This is what God wanted to know. God or his son? And God said, now I know who's more important. Now I know who you fear most. Now I know. And that was, must have been a terrible, terrible time for Abraham. But you know, all that time, like God was never intended for him to sacrifice his son. It was a test. But all that time, God had this ram climbing up the far side of the mountain. All the time, God had been preparing another, well, a ram for the sacrifice. So Abraham looks over and he sees this ram. And he must have just felt such a relief. And he went over and he caught this ram in the thicket. All the time, God had been getting it to step by step by step up the mountain to prepare 
and that ram he was sacrificed instead of Isaac. And God is our provider. And we think about on another mountain, Mount Calvary, that God did the same thing. God did the same thing. Whenever we were due to be judged before our own sin, God had this lamb walking up the mountain all the time and going to the cross to be sacrificed that we might go know God as our Father today. That's how God provides. God provides so much for us, but the greatest provision is when God gave his only Son that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but should have eternal life. It gave his only Son. So I've got a little cartoon for the children. I'm sure you'll enjoy it as well. It's like a wee drawn cartoon of, the, of, a, of this situation with Abraham and Isaac. Abraham offers Isaac. After God gave Abraham a son, God asked him to do something that was harder than anything he had ever done before. If Abraham would say anything like that. Instead, he got up early the next morning saddled his donkey, split the wood for the burnt offering, and left for Moriah with Isaac and two servants. Abraham also took the wood, a knife, some fire, and some food. It took Abraham three days to get to Moriah. While he rested each night, he would have looked up at the countless stars in the sky. Those stars would have reminded Abraham of God's promise to make Abraham's descendants through his son Isaac as countless as the stars in the sky. Abraham believed God would somehow keep his promise. On the last day of the journey, Abraham spotted God's chosen mountain in the distance. He said to the two servants, wait here while Isaac and I go on to worship, and then we will return. Abraham was confident that he would come back down the mountain with Isaac. He knew God was somehow going to provide. Abraham laid the wood for the sacrifice on Isaac to carry and took the fire and the knife in his own hands. This made Isaac satisfied Isaac, and they went up the mountain together. There, Abraham built an altar for the sacrifice and arranged the wood on the altar. Then Abraham turned to Isaac and tied his hands and feet together and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Isaac knew for sure that he was the sacrifice. We don't know if he said anything to his father, and we don't know how he felt. But he must have been frightened as he saw his father raise the knife to kill him. As Isaac braced for the blow from the knife that would end his life, the angel of the Lord cried out, Abraham, Abraham. Abraham lowered the knife to his side and responded, Here I am. He knew God was talking to him. God told Abraham not to harm his son. I know you respect me because you didn't withhold your only son from me, God said. God was pleased with Abraham's obedience. Just then, Abraham saw a ram with its horns caught in a thicket. The ram was stuck and couldn't run away. Abraham knew God had provided the ram to take Isaac's place on the altar. He untied Isaac and then loosed the ram from the thicket. Abraham and Isaac rejoiced to have the ram to sacrifice on the altar. Abraham took the ram and sacrificed it instead of Isaac. So Abraham would always remember what God did for him 
He called the name of the place, The Lord Will Provide. And that's exactly what God had done. He provided a substitute to take Isaac's place on the altar. God's angel spoke again to Abraham and told him that all the nations of the earth would be blessed through one of his descendants. That blessing is Jesus Christ. He came to earth and died on the cross for our sins as our substitute. If we trust in Him for salvation, we will be delivered from the penalty for our sins and we will spend eternity with Jesus in heaven. So we're going we're gonna to stand a wee moment. I, I found this. This is an old song, but uh, they've livened it up from my day. It's called Standing on the Promises, and that's what we do. The Word of God, we stand on the Word of God. Uh, we stand on the promises of Jesus Christ. So uh, let's, let's stand if you can. If you don't feel like standing, if it's too warm for you, feel free just to sit. But we'll stand and, and try and uh, waken ourselves up a wee bit. Did any of you remember that song from years ago, did you? Yeah. <laughs> well, I don't feel so old then. Uh, okay. Now, um, the Sunday club and the Bible class are free to leave uh, if they like. And uh, 
we're going to receive your offering. Father, you have provided uh, salvation for us through your Son. And Lord, we give our lives back to you as an offering, but give us, give this token, Father, financial token to you, to, to allow you to, to spread the good news of Jesus Christ uh, across this community. In Jesus' name, we surrender it to you. Amen. Let's pray. Philippians 4, 19, Paul writes, And my God will meet all your deeds according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. Mm. And we may come this morning with many needs, different needs, various needs, various fears, worries about the future. But Lord, we thank you for that promise that you will meet all our needs according to your glorious riches in Christ Jesus. And Father, we thank you that no situation is too far out of your control to provide. For you are Jehovah Jireh, the God who provides. And we thank you that you own it all and hold everything in your hands. We thank you that you know our needs before we even ask, before we even come to you. You're aware of all that concerns us, and you have a plan. You hold the provision. You have the solution. You alone can move mountains to make a way for your children. And we ask for your answer in your timing, in your plan, to be given for every need that weighs our hearts down. Forgive us for doubting you, for worrying, and for trying so hard to work everything out on our own. Increase our faith, Father. We believe. Help us in our unbelief. We choose to recognize and to believe that you're able to accomplish far more, to do far greater than we even thought possible. We thank you in advance for your miracles, for paving out pathways, for your provision for those who love you, Thank you for the abundance of blessing and goodness that you've already given to us. 
We trust you this day and every day, and we're so grateful for your power and joy that fills our lives. Thank you for teaching us to be content in all circumstances. We love you, Lord. We're leaning on you. In Jesus' name, amen. Just before we sing um, another hymn, um, Billy sent me this, this hymn, Now Thank We All Our God, and I was looking up and reading it on the internet, and uh, from 1618 to 1648, Europe, and especially Germany, was devastated by famine, by disease, by destruction during the Thirty Years' War. And then in 1636, Martin Rinkhart, a Lutheran pastor in Eilenburg, Germany, he wrote the hymn, Now Thank We All Our God, a hymn of thanksgiving, and it's still sung all these years later today. It's a hymn of praise to God in very, very difficult days. And uh, let's stand and worship him, that whatever our situation, we can focus on the Lord and we can worship him no matter how difficult our days become. Let's stand. Now, thank we all our God. like to, um, to turn to Luke chapter 14. We're continuing with our wee series on parables. Um, Luke chapter 14, 12 to 24. 
Um, as I was saying last week, Desi Maxwell, I'll never forget when he described a parable like a little lunchbox. It's something that's light, it's something that you can put in your pocket, something that you can carry around with you. Um, so Luke chapter 14, verses 12 to 24. Hold on, I'm on the wrong chapter here. That's it. Then Jesus said to his host, when you give a luncheon or dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers or relatives, or your rich neighbors. If you do, they'll be invite you back, and so you will be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. And when one of those at the table with him heard this, he said to Jesus, Blessed is the man who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. And Jesus replied, A certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he sent the servant to tell those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said, I've just bought a field and I must go and see it. Please excuse me. Another said, I've just bought five yoke of oxen and I'm on my way to try them out please excuse me. Still another said, I've just got married, so I can't come. The servant came back and reported this to his master. Then the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servant, go out into the, quickly into the streets and alleys of the town, bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. Sir, the servant said, what you ordered has been done, but there's still no room. Oh, sorry, but there is still room. Then the master told his servant, go out to the roads and country lanes and make them come in so that my house will be full. I tell you, not one of those men who are invited will get a taste of my banquet. Let me just, let me just pray a wee moment. Father, we just pray that your Holy Spirit might take your word, which is the sword of the Spirit, and that in each of our hearts, Lord, that he might carve something that he might work deep within us. Lord, whether that be conviction, whether that be assurance, whether that be comfort, Lord, we just pray that your Spirit would touch and meet us where we are in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. I remember reading an illustration some years ago of, of a group of burglars going into a jewelry shop and uh, instead of actually burgling the shop, what they did was that they changed the price tags around so that those items which were of immense value, they changed to slowly to, to incredibly low prices. And for such items that were of such little value and very cheap, they charged, they, they changed the prices to high prices. And I'm sure you'd just love to be one of those people coming in the next morning and going over to something very, that's normally very expensive and finding maybe it's a fiver, and just incredible. Someone swapping the price tags around. And, uh, you know, when, when we look at our values in the world, it seems sometimes like our values have been swapped around. That there are things which are of very little value, to many, um, but is made by the world to look of incredible value. And there are those things which are of incredible value that are made to look little today 
in the world. So what I want to look at from this parable that Jesus gives is what's important and what's not important. What does Scripture say is the most important and what is not important? Well, earlier in Luke's Gospel, uh, we see a lady who's a, who's a spinal condition, and she, which means she can't actually straighten her body up. She has been like this for 18 years. She's in a synagogue on the Sabbath, probably lurking in the shadows because she doesn't want her appearance to be seen. She's embarrassed. And Jesus calls her out of the shadows, and he heals her. Now, there's a bit of an uproar in the synagogue amongst the leaders about healing this woman on the Sabbath. And Jesus says, doesn't each of you untie your ox or donkey from the stall and lead it out to give it water on the Sabbath? Don't you do that on the Sabbath? So the issue here is what's more important? Is it this woman's quality of life or keeping some minor law decided by man? See, there were, there were certain things which were discussed and decided upon amongst Jewish leaders. And one of them was, how much can you do on the Sabbath before it can be called work? Such decisions, they were not in Scripture, but they tried to, to decide by discussion amongst Jewish leaders and Jewish lawyers what could be carried, what could be done on the Sabbath before it could be called work. And some were incredibly petty laws. It was called the oral law. Some were very petty laws. You've heard Jesus in Matthew 23. Jesus accuses the scribes and the Pharisees of focusing on the minor and failing to look at something which is more major. He says, listen, you strain a gnat, which is that size, but you swallow a camel, which is that size. You focus on something so small, and yet you let something pass that is so big and important. So what's important? This woman's life and her quality of life is much more important than what you discuss and decide as lawyers in the oral law. Again, in Luke's Gospel, Jesus goes to a Pharisee's house on the Sabbath for something to eat. And in front of him, there's a man who's suffering from dropsy. I wasn't sure what that was, but I looked it up, and it's, it's an abnormal swelling due to excess fluid gathering. It can be caused by heart failure. So Jesus sees this man, and he asks the Pharisees, and those who are there who are experts in the law, he says to them, they're all sitting eating their meal, he says, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? And there's silence in the room. No one replies. And again, he challenges them in a similar way. He says, if one of your children or, or an ox was to fall into a well on the Sabbath, wouldn't you rescue it straight away? Of course you would. What's more important, the well-being of this man who is seriously ill or what you've decided and discussed when you've had plenty of time to discuss over minor issues in the oral law. I want you really, I think, this morning to recognize Jesus' heart for people in deep pain. 
people who struggled in life, people who are poor, people who are marginalized, people who have all their lives felt like second-class citizens, people all their lives who have been put down by others. Jesus has a heart for people in pain. And Jesus, at verse 12, he says, when you give a dinner, he says, don't invite your friends or your family. Jesus is wise to our human ways that one of the human ulterior motives that we might have is that we ask someone because we know that we're going to get repaid by a re-invitation. We're going to be invited to their house. So even though we spend money now, we'll get some money back because we'll go to somebody else's home for a meal. Jesus says, don't be like that. Jesus says, ask someone who'll not be able to pay you back. He'll not be able to reimburse you because they don't have the money to reimburse you. Or maybe they don't even have a home to invite you to. Invite the poor, he says. Invite the crippled. Invite the lame and the blind. And the blessing on you, it'll not come from your guest. It'll come from God. God's blessing will be on you. You know, when someone at the table hears this, there's a man sitting there and he pipes up and he says something very profound. And we don't know who he is. We've never heard from him. We don't have his name. But he just feels perhaps inspired to say this. He says, blessed is the one who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. Blessed is the one who's going to feast in the kingdom of God. One line. That's all we have from him. But what a line, inspired and more than inspired, prophetic. Because later, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, John, when he's in exile on the Isle of Patmos, he writes these words, Blessed are those who are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb, Revelation 19.9. Revelation speaks a lot about the church of Jesus Christ, the blood-bought body of Christ, the church of Jesus Christ being the bride and Christ being the bridegroom. And here's an invitation. There's no greater invitation than the invitation to the marriage supper of Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. To sit at that feast in the kingdom of God. It's so important. You want to know what's important? It's important to be there. It's important to receive this invitation and to do something about this invitation. This is the most important invitation, to be at the supper of the Lamb of God at the end times. Be with Christ. You don't want to miss that. You know, one New Testament Greek scholar says that the word blessed, as in blessed is the one who leadeth the feast in the kingdom of God, Blessed, he says, can also be translated congratulations. Congratulations to the person who, who eats, who's invited, and who comes and eats at the marriage feast. It's the greatest privilege ever. It's the greatest privilege ever offered to be men, to men and women to be at Jesus' table that day. So Jesus picks up on this man's prophetic line, and, and he begins to tell a parable. He says, there's a certain man who was preparing a great banquet, 
He's invited many guests. He sends out to, word to those who'd been invited. He says, come for everything is now ready. Now, the thing is, they'd already been invited. They already had the invitation. They're just waiting for everything just to be set up. They're just waiting for the dinner bell to ring. Now, it's ready. Go and tell them it's ready. And they're invited to come. Money's been spent. Food's been bought. Food's been cooked. Tables are beautifully set. The food's been prepared. The cakes have been baked. Wine has been brought from the choicest vineyards. Now, come for everything is ready. But shock and horror, those that have been invited, they begin to make feeble excuses. You know, I've bought a piece of land, I have to really go and see it. Or I've bought some oxen, I need to go and try them out. I've just got married, I can't come. I can't come. My question would be, what are you doing? What are you doing? This is the most important invitation you will ever receive in all your days. I doubt very much that, that if the late Queen Elizabeth had arranged a banquet, that, that no one would come. That's ridiculous. The thought of that is ridiculous. And in this parable, God's the master of the banquet. And ever since the fall of man, God has been preparing for this banquet. The whole of the Old Testament has pointed towards the day of man's reconciliation with God. The prophets pointed to it. The sacrificial system pointed to it. The angels over Bethlehem pointed to it. John the Baptist pointed to it when he said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And Christ would finalize all of those preparations as he hangs on the cross and almost in his final breath, he says, it's finished. Come, for everything is now ready. It's sorted. Your reconciliation with my Father is sorted. The door is open. The invitation is out there. Would we ever turn down an invitation from King Charles III to attend a banquet in Buckingham Palace? How ridiculous. How ridiculous it would be to turn down an invitation from God to attend the banquet of the marriage supper of his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, when the Son of God will be married to his bride, the church, his blood-bought people. I've got to go and check the oxen. Sounds so ridiculous, doesn't it? This is the most important invitation this man would ever have. Got to go and check my oxen. I got a few oxen there in the market. I can't come. Oh, I, I got to go and uh, I've got to go and check this piece of land I've just bought. Or I've just got married. You know what the wife's like. She wants me to stay at home here. Ridiculous. And so many, we have so many distractions and so many excuses. And many people have fallen into a lost eternity without Christ with those excuses and distractions on their lips. Sorry, I'll do it later. I'll think about it later. And Isaiah 60 verse 1 says, Arise, shine, for your light has come. Your light's come. No thanks. No thanks. Not now. I've got other responsibilities. 
I've got too much on at the moment. What's important? Endless distractions and busyness that you can get caught up in in the world or the salvation of your soul. I want you to try and imagine the heart of God's heart when the excuses come flooding in. When Jesus comes to earth, his focus is very much upon the Jews, the people of Israel. Zechariah chapter 2, the people of Israel are described as the apple of God's eye. He loves them. He adores them. They're his son. They're his children. He adores them. So in Matthew 15, when Jesus comes as a Canaanite woman, she's following him because her, her daughter's sick, and she's not a Jew. And he says, I was only sent to the lost sheep of Israel. But then he heals her daughter when she keeps crying out to him and says, even the dogs eat the crumbs that come off the master's table. But Jesus is focused, even at that time, it's on the people of Israel, the apple of his eye. But then, and in Matthew 10, when he sent out his disciples two by two, he instructs them, don't go to the Gentiles. Don't enter the town of the Samaritans. He says, go rather to the lost sheep of Israel. His focus at that moment, his people, the people of Israel, they're constantly, though, turning down his invitation. The chief priests and the Pharisees, they want to seize him. In his hometown, in his synagogue, he tries to explain who he is and why he's come, and they try to stone him. People are paid to lie in court about him. Religious leaders go out of their way to force Pilate's hand to crucify him. These are Israel's responses. Sorry, we can't come to the banquet. Sorry, we, you know, you've prepared it all, but sorry, we can't come. We don't want to come. The master of the banquet, his response is go out quickly into the streets and the alleys of the town, bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, the lame. Go out beyond your usual catchment area. Go beyond your normal area of ministry. Go beyond the borders of your comfort zone. Go beyond the borders of Judaism. Go out to the roads and country lanes and compel them to come in so that my house may be full. Or as Jesus said, go and make disciples of every nation. And we are here today in Ballycrocken because some of his disciples obeyed that command. Two things just in closing. Perhaps you have felt for some time now that God is offering you such an invitation that he's offering for you to come and to be a child of God in the kingdom of God, to know his forgiveness, to know his, his assurance that when the time comes and your life comes to an end here, as it will for all of us, you will know that you have a place at his table. Perhaps you've thought, I'll leave it for a while. Perhaps you've thought for years, I'll leave it for a while and you've kept on leaving it. I'll get around to it someday. But please, my prayer and my urge to you this morning would be, please, please, please learn from this parable. Don't put it off. Paul says today is the day of salvation. 
He doesn't say that glibly. You don't know what tomorrow may bring. So please don't delay. Don't put off the invitation. There's nothing in this earth can be more important than your own soul. Secondly, just finally, as the Church of Jesus Christ calls us to go out to, be, to the highways and the byways and by the leading of the Holy Spirit to bring people in, what this says to me in this parable is it's not a particular type of people. It's any people. It's any people. And often we can pass folk because we don't think that they're our type of people. Jesus says, go out into the byways and the highways, onto the streets. Go and bring any people to faith in Christ. You know, it's an order from Christ to lower the drawbridge and to leave that drawbridge down. Jesus was radical. May God lead us in radical forms of ministry that we might reach as many for Christ that is possible. If God is behind us, he will provide for us. If God so sent his son and he means business to reach Ballycrocken, he will provide for us. I'm not just talking financially. I'm talking in every way in every way. He will provide for us. If God is for us, who can be against us? Abraham, do you trust me? Abraham, do you trust me? I know you're a hundred years old, but do you trust me that from your line there's going to come someone really, really special? Do you trust me? And do we trust him that God is able to do in our church and in this community immeasurably more than we could ever ask or imagine. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that, God, when we think of our own lives, they seem, well, they seem like little lunch boxes, Lord, that's like the five loaves and the two fish that we come and the wee boys bring in it, and so little, so little for so many. But yet, Lord, you take that little lunchbox and you raise it in your hands and you give thanks and bless it. And out of it, God, over 5,000 people are fed that day. And as we come, may each of us recognize that where we are in the church, doesn't matter what we're doing, everything's important that everyone's significant, that there's no one less significant than anybody else, but we're in a body here, and may we all bring our little lunch boxes and ask you to bless them and use us in Jesus Christ's name. And we thank you for the privilege from 10 years old to 100 years old or more. Thank you for the privilege of being, willing, being able to be used in your service on a daily basis. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand, and we're going to sing How Deep the Father's Love for Us.
Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and everything else shall be added unto you. Lord, help us in our own individual lives to seek your kingdom and your righteousness, but as a church also, Father, to seek first your rule, your kingdom, your righteousness. And we thank you that you will provide everything else. And may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all now and forevermore. Amen.